So good evening and welcome. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, and I'm very pleased to be with you here in the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco. Welcome to this evening's Meet the Artist interview. Uh, this evening is opening night of program three already. The season's just galloping along. And it is uh, Thursday, February 20th, 2014. The Center for Dance Education, which is directed by Charles Chip McNeil, with Cecilia Beam coordinating adult education programming, produces all kinds of um, this kind of um, adult education, the points of view lectures on Wednesdays, the Ballet 101 series, the um, talks on dance with interesting guest artists, and uh, we do programs for children, both here in the Opera House and out in the community. And of course, it's all recorded for podcasting on the website, and so you're encouraged, I encourage you, to go to the website sfballet.org, catch the interviews as podcasts, and then catch all the amazing, um, there's more and more, every time I look, there's video of dancers and video of the ballets on the season. So it's, it's worth a, a surf every few days, certainly, <clears throat> to see what's coming up. So again, welcome to those of you who are here, those who may be listening via the internet at a future time, and welcome to my wonderful companion in conversation here, um, ballet master Katita Waldo. Hello. <laughs> choreographed leg crossings here. Um, it's a delight always to speak with Katita. I joked at a recent time that we were together that um, the ballet master staff um, at the, in the company right now represents hundreds of years. And I haven't yet done the math, I will, but between Betsy Erickson and um, Anita Pachotti, who and, uh, have been with the company over 40 years each, and of course Ricardo and Felipe, who both danced with the company and have been ballet mastering for a long time, Katita finished a 22-year dance career, so you're pushing them. <laughs> um, and you've been ballet mastering for a couple of years? Uh, three years uh, since I retired, but I did kind of a little bit for two years before. So you so worked into it? And, worked yeah. into it. Yeah. Still a shock. <laughs> so what's neat about um, talking to one of the ballet masters is to get that perspective about the works on the program. Uh, you are working, as I understand it, directly with the... Um, Christopher Wielden's Ballet Ghosts. Yes, I, well, I should, the truth of it is that um, I was assigned to that ballet the last year that I was uh, performing. So I was a little bit busy retiring. So I'm a token ballet master on it, but it's really Anita that does everything. I, I actually am kind of not worth anything in that ballet, <laughs> other than to love it and appreciate it. But uh, Anita's carried all the weight because I was retiring. 
So. But you were, were you were performing in it. I wasn't in it. I wasn't oh, I'm in sorry. that one. I misunderstood. No, no, no. Okay. I would have loved to. That's a, a beautiful one, but uh, no. And but you have worked with Christopher Wielden. I so have had the pleasure and the honor. Yes. Yes. And it's a very, it's a lovely piece. It's a lyrical mm. piece. It's a mysterious piece. And I wonder if it's completely coincidental. Ghosts is the title. Ghosts is thematic material. Yes. And one of the other pieces that we're doing is about a similar part of the universe in the afterlife. Um, you are much more directly and intimately involved with La Bayadere, yes. the second act, yes. the kingdom of the shades. Yes. Um, we, I have so many things I want to know about that and about your work with it. Why don't we just start with what's happening? What's the story? Um, I, I believe that it is a dream, and it is Solar's dream. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you're ballet historian. She was my ballet history teacher, so if I mess this up, I'm going to get a C. But um, uh, <laughs> I actually have been concentrating so much on making sure that it looks right that I, I haven't done as much research as I normally would have done. But I believe that it is uh, essentially is a... Is a drug-induced dream, I guess one would say, that Solor has of uh, a temple dancer, Nikia, if I'm not mistaken, and um, he's fallen in love with her, and, and in the second act, he has this vision of her, thousands of her, as you will see. And um, so that's essentially what's happening in the second act. It's his, his dream of, of this woman that he is in love with, temple dancer Nikia. And actually, I think we can say she has died. Right. So it's so he's he in mourning her, and um, you mentioned drug sorry, induced. Ghosts, yes. He has smoked opium. Yes, and um, the whole ballet is really quite something. It's it is. Oh, it's an amazing ballet. The whole thing is amazing. Right out of the nineteenth yeah. century, the yeah. the height of the um, extravagant. We call them spectacle ballets. Um, exotic characters yes. and probably two hundred in the cast. Yeah, it's a huge, the full-length yeah. ballet is enormous. And I think the things that are the best known are the Golden Idol mm -hmm. and the Shades, mm -hmm. the Kingdom of the Shades, which you'll see today. And one of the things from our history research is that um, this is one of the earlier examples of an extended sequence of pure dance. Yeah. That in the earlier days, they were always telling a story. And here we have just this, it, almost an entire act of pure dance. Yes. And um, so there are more or less thousands of these shades, and yes. you get to take care of them. Yes. Talk about, um, how's this for a ploy? The compare and contrast. You go into a rehearsal of, um, of Balanchine's Agon, or... Um, we saw Chroma earlier this week. And then you go into a rehearsal of this. What's different? What's special? How do you approach your rehearsal? Um, wow. I was actually driving. I live in Pacifica, and I was driving in, and I was talking the entire time, actually discussing with myself this particular um, topic, because how do you explain this with so little time, but um, um, 
the valleys that you mentioned, uh, Borderlands and, uh, and Balanchine. Uh, Balanchine was a Russian trained dancer. He was steeped in classical ballet. He knew it very well. He came to the States. He choreographed in Hollywood. He choreographed on Broadway. And he took everything he experienced with those various types of dance and turned it into this new form of dance, American dance. And American dance is... is um, the positions are more expansive. They are, they are more... They're free. They're not as um, specific in how they are supposed to look. There's more more freedom in 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 like an arabesque. The arm can it doesn't have to be right here. Um, in a ballet like La Bayadere, especially when you're working with with the core, which it is my privilege to do, um, there it you have to find freedom within a, a certain. Uh, physical constraint, I guess is what you would call it. And it's been absolutely amazing for me to work on this because I've had the, the incredible pleasure of working with Natalia Makarova on this. Scary, so scary, yes. But um, my early training was very, very classical. It was more French, uh, but it was exceedingly classical. And um, majority of my rep that I danced, even though I did dance classical ballets, was more I did the Balanchine and I did the more contemporary stuff. I did done Wayne McGregor. I've done all of that stuff. And to, to go back to these roots and to, to clear away all of the other stuff to get back to the absolute pure roots and to get, in this case, I believe it's 24 girls, to all find freedom as a group within the constraints of this particular type of, 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 of the way of holding your body has been amazing. And I have to say, and I think you will see, the ladies in the company are extraordinary. And in the school, because there are schoolgirls in there. And it's been, they have just done an amazing job. And I'm extremely proud. That said, it's been very hard for many of them to sort of actually change the way they've done things for a million years. Not that they're a million years old, but you know, you're used to holding your arms in a particular way, it gets comfortable, that's what you do, and then suddenly it's like, no, that isn't fifth position, or that isn't uh, your leg, you think you're facing the right way, but you're not. Your hips have to be more um, facing the corner than you've ever done before. Your elbows have to be open in a way that you've never done before. Um, it's just a lot more demanding in some ways. I find, having gone back to experiencing this, that there's a freedom to it once you're used to it that I miss. And um, I, I, do, I, do, I do feel that there are elements of um, the positions and the way that you carry your body in this type of ballet that can be lost, that I am sorry are lost. I'll say. On the other hand, we get to do this. Yes. And we get to see this. And we can say um, it's a snapshot of what we might have seen might have seen in 1877 if we'd gone to the Imperial Russian Ballet. Of course things have evolved. Things have changes have crept in, 
but our, our hope yes. is to capture that. Um, can you say <clears throat> a little bit, um, you danced in cores before you were promoted. Um, what are some of the unique challenges of being a core dancer? as opposed to being a soloist. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the bane of many ballet masters. Um, uh, one of the, the great freedoms of being a soloist or a principal is that you can interpret. Uh, you can phrase the music, you know, any way you want. Um, you don't always have to do the arms you're told to do. You can kind of, you know, not in this ballet, not in La Bayadere, but, you know, you can kind of, you know, if you didn't put your arm up here, that's fine. You had it down, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. As a core dancer, um, as a core, especially in a ballet like this, there is no margin, no margin for, for any of that. And the trick and the hardest part is that you have to be absolutely together doing every position, absolutely the same, without looking like you're all dead and you're in a military marching band. And that's the hardest, that's the hardest part because you get, you start, you st I feel that you start with, you have to be precise, you have to be on the count. So you go on one and you go on two and you go on three. But then once they're all going on one and on two and on three, then you have to get them all to go from one to two to three so that it's dance instead of just positions. And the difficult part is that, whether we know it or not, each of us hears music in a different way. And when you're dancing in the core, um, a principal can, you hear a note, but a note has, is, you know, can be, it has a beginning, a, mini, a, a middle, and an end. And some dancers hear the beginning of the note, some dancers hear the middle of the note, note and some dancers hear the end. So you can have five dancers doing the same step, all of them are on the music, and none of them are together. <laughs> which is really difficult. And to get them all to hear it the same, so they all move the same, so they all are working together, that's one thing. Then they have to stay in line. <laughs> yeah. And that's a whole other thing. You have to use peripheral vision, um, you have to be aware of where the girl next to you is stepping while you're interpreting and dancing like you're a principal with everybody else. So it's, yeah, it's a challenge. And I'm telling you, these ladies have been absolutely amazing. And I think you will be very impressed. I'm exceedingly proud. I can hardly wait. It's one of my favorite pieces. I remember <clears throat> dancing in cores. And there were swans and there were snowflakes and there were cores. And there were rules that we just learned and then we passed on to yeah. the up-and-coming core about the first, the girl that's in the front. And if she goes the wrong way... You go with her. You go with her. You go with her. Yep. And if she raises her arm a half a count or a count early, you raise your arm with her. You have to follow and the front or if you're facing the back, you follow the back. Yep. And, uh, you know, it can be tricky, especially like in Bayadere, because you have shorter girls at the front and super tall girls at the back. <laughs> so, you know, the tall girls are like, can you take a bigger step? And the smaller girls at the front are like, I can take the biggest step I can. I, you know, I can't <laughs> take any bigger step. So it, it's very tricky. It's exceedingly tricky. There's, there's things like if you're in line and you look straight ahead, you shouldn't be able to see anything but the bun of the girl in front of you. If you see something, you're not in line. If you're in line and you see somebody here, you're not in line. 
If you don't see anybody, you're not in line. If you have just a faint hint that somebody's right there, you're in line. So you have to do all of that, plus be on the music, hearing the music together, doing the same positions, watching the arm of the girl in front of you. It's just, yeah. And it can be magic. Oh, yes, yes. This particular piece uh, has something really um, <clears throat> challenging. The entrance is not only <clears throat> a repeated movement, and the first girl has to do oh. how many of those? You know, I haven't, I haven't counted. It's probably 38. She has we to have do, a winner. We have a winner. Thank you for counting that. I never did. I was just busy going, the legs not high enough. They're not moving at the same time. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. Um, not only are they doing all of that, but they are not on no. level ground. No, it's a, they have to do, the front girl does 38 arabesques. So it's a procession of girls doing a plie arabesque, and I'm going to trust that everybody knows what a plie arabesque is. Um, it's on one leg, one leg is, you're standing on one leg, bent, the other leg is behind you, you're reaching forward with one arm, and then you have to transition, walk, walk, and do it again. 38 times for the front girl, and then it's a sequence. In some companies, there's only one ramp. In our company, there are two. So they have to go down this ramp and then down another ramp and then keep going. Plus there's, uh, uh, what do you call it, dry ice. So they have marks that hopefully you won't see that they have to be on that helps them to be in line. But they can't see the marks because there's dry ice. So, and then in the wings, and we were going over this today and Helgi was saying, so line up with the lights. I can experience it now. You're trying to balance on one leg and the light is in your eyes and you can't see and the dry ice is happening and there's an added element that you won't see. There's a scrim in the front. So I have heard that it is likened to being in a fishbowl. So you have, yeah, 38 arabesques in a fishbowl in the fog <laughs> with bright lights shining at you from the side. So I, yes, it is stunning. It is stunning. And like I said, they are doing an amazing job. And I expect you all to cheer them mightily because it's really hard. Forget the principle. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah. So. So I hope we haven't spoiled for you the magic of it. Because no, I don't think so. It, and it will be done right. I was going to say when done right. And it is done it's right. It's hypnotic. Awesome. Absolutely yeah. hypnotic. And you will find that you haven't exhaled for 32 counts. Neither have they. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And yes. Oh, thank you. For those of you who have come in a little bit late, sorry. Katita Waldo, ballet master, has been sharing with us some of the inside secrets and challenges of this amazing piece that we're going to, to see, yeah. La Bayadere. You mentioned, you alluded to working with Natalia oh, Makarova. Yes. Um, fill us in a little bit. Um, what's that about? It's scary. It's, uh, it's really scary and absolutely amazing. It's amazing. Um, it, this is her version, and she has said it all over the world. Um, so she knows exactly, exactly what she wants. And she's very clear. Um, she also doesn't miss a thing. So there, there's just, yeah, the girl in the back, the pinky finger up. Yeah, no, she's got it down. Yeah, I exaggerate, but she has an amazing eye. And um, 
I, I, I had the privilege of working with her as a dancer, not on Bayadere. Um, I think I was pregnant or just returning from pregnancy at the time, but I did work with her on Paquita. And I found her an amazing coach, just incredible. Um, she is... Uh, She's not the tallest of women, but she's huge. And she fills that room. And she has a very quiet voice that you can't miss. And she is, um, even, even now, she demonstrates in her upper body, in the carriage of her neck, in her, the placement of her arms and her hands and her shoulders, you can't ask for more. It's been... For me, it was, it's been incredible. And I think for the girls, it's been also uh, a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, I think they've learned a ton, and it shows. It really, really shows. It probably bears repeating, in case there's anyone here who didn't take Imperial Russian Ballet 101, um, she is probably one generation removed from the dancers who created this ballet. Yes. Yeah. Um, Petipa and his ballerinas became the teachers at the school, which when Makarova was there was the Kirov, which is now the Mariinsky St. Petersburg. Yeah. Um, and she learned it from them. Yes. yes. And so, so it's pure. It's, it's as yeah, pure as yeah. you can get yeah. at this point. And it's, uh, she, she's never forgotten. It's, it's all, it's there. Even, you know, even now, her placement and the way she shows things, it's... Amazing. We've almost not saved time for questions, but we do have a few minutes. Um, those of you who might like to ask a question, raise your hand. I'll repeat the question. And in the interest of getting several questions in, let's try to keep them reasonably brief. So your hand was up. Do we know why there are two ramps rather than only one? I think it was what Makarova wanted. I think it has a, it, I think actually that it gives it a more magical look because instead of coming down and then being on one plane, you have several planes of this, these beautiful line of women that are drifting in like a dream. So it makes it look more magical. It probably has two ramps in some other version. Yes, it's, yes, I shouldn't um, say that no other version does, but I know that there are some that just yeah. use one. Yeah. Um, here. Yeah. Um, she's asked Katita to demonstrate. Do a, a Bayadere arabesque and do a Balanchine arabesque. Well, um, arabesque is a little <laughs> tricky, but I will try. Hold, hold on. Oh. <laughs> well, um, arabesque, actually, I think it would be easier to show you a port de bras. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, a big, big thing is... Um, there are two things. One is called epaumont, which is the carriage of the neck, the shoulders, and the back. Um, in a lot of balancing ballets, you stand facing straight. And in this kind of ballet, you are never facing straight. Even if you're straightforward, there's a little bit of something like that. So there's an angle, a twist to the shoulder, always. You're never like this. Um, bringing your arms through port de bras in, in some uh, more modern American ballet, you, you, go, you go like, hold on. In this ballet, elbows lead. So, mm -hmm. 
I was thinking also in the classical, in strict classical, you would have this much squarer line, whereas in a, in a balancing piece you might have. Right. In, in balancing, sometimes the arabesques are like this. Yeah. It's just, it, you know, you just go. And here, it's got to be here. Even if it's up, the shoulders are always placed. Heads always, you always use your head with your arms. You don't use just your arms. You always use your head with the arms. A lot of down and up. So that kind of thing. It might be fun to track, um, after you've seen Bayadere, to then um, look at ghosts, which yeah. is exquisite classical or neoclassical choreography, but very fluid, very yeah. um, beyond the strict classic. It is. So However, Chris Wilden is a huge one on Epaumont, so you will see this kind of thing where the head and the arms are moving in ghosts. And there's definitely positions that are, that are you know, based on, on classicism. And Chris hates it when dancers don't use this. He doesn't like this kind of thing, which you can get sometimes. Not here. <laughs> Not here. Okay, there's one back there, Terry. The scarf. Ooh, we haven't talked about the scarf. Oh my gosh, I actually don't know how long the scarf is. I, um, Felipe is in charge of the solos and the principles, so uh, he, I'm sure he knows to the inch. But there is a wonderful scarf that is used for Nikia's solo, um, where he's, the solor is holding the scarf and she has to do a solo with it uh, for quite some time. Um, and it's very long. Um, I don't know, 10? 12 feet, something like that? Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Good trivia question. We expect the answer next time we see you. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if I can phrase this. She's talking about um, the hairdo, the classical hairdo, the dancers such as Katita, and there are some others who have cut their hair very short. Um, how, how is that um, integrated into the discipline? Let, maybe, let me extrapolate a little bit there, of um, being the dancer in the company with, with a right. discipline. Um, I think that makeup and hair have, have gone a long way now. And there are actually a number of girls in the company who have very short hair. I found it, uh, to my great shock, once I cut my hair, that I actually had more options. When my hair was long, it was very heavy, and I, I could only put it in a bun or a twist, that was it. But when it was really short, I, could, I, had, a, I had a couple of fake buns, and I could get it up or down. Or, and also, when my hair was long, it was heavy, so I'd lose my... It would just get pasted down, so I looked like I, had, I was bald. And when it was short, it, it pops up, so I could... I could shape it so that I could make it do different things. And I actually got to dance with my hair long and not in a bun and short and not in any style. So I think it, it doesn't really... I found I had more, more ability to do different things when it was short. I can't speak for my fellow dancers, but for me it was liberating. 
And for the classic ballets, um, the hairdo is part of the costume, so you just drag out the gel and the fake bun. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and you can, when it's short, you can put it anywhere you want. Yeah. And you can shape it any way you want. And I had, I used to do low buns and side buns and fake twists. And with long hair, it was pretty much a heavy twist that ended up, somebody said it looked like, I don't know, Italy or something. It just never did it right. <laughs> never did it right. Okay, Short hair was uh, better. Time for one last question. Over there. What do you do, um, I hope I heard all this, um, in doing a ballet like this, which um, is strenuous, um, so to be conditioned so that it doesn't hurt? Did I get that kind of, sort of, um, Acting. Quickly? It's all acting. Um, uh, you, you do what you have to do, and you have you perform. It's, it is like acting. When you do a role, you take on a persona, and when you're performing, it's the same thing. You um, accept that instead of words, you have, you have your body and your focus, and the foot hurts, and I'm really tired, and I can't let anybody know. <laughs> and it's kind of like that. And they go off stage, and then it's sailor time, and you don't want to hear what they say. Oh. I wish we had more time. Um, I want to just recap. It's been a pleasure to be speaking with ballet master Katita Waldo. You will be seeing um, the opening night of program three tonight. And of course, I encourage you to quickly go to the ballet's website and check for some of these um, interviews and lectures that we've been doing and to find out what's coming next. And lots is coming next. Katita, thank you so much. Pleasure. It's been Please great enjoy. Fun. It's a great program, so enjoy.